The following may contain satire that will offend absolutely everyone. I want to apologize in advance for the fact that I don't care. A new poll shows the news media dead last in public trust. According to the poll, Americans have the most trust in hospitals at 93%, whereas only 48% trust Congress, 36% trust cable news advertisers, 23% trust a guy who wrote to them saying he was the son of Prince Unguzi of the Republic of Shagmandu and he was holding a multi-million dollar inheritance for them, 17% trust the two spooky twins from the movie The Shining, 12% trust the unshaven man in a slouch hat who's been following them around for the last three days, and finally the news media is trusted by 2% of people running to catch their connecting flight to Philadelphia, who saw a guy talking into the camera on TV, but said they weren't really listening to what he said, but he seemed nice. There was a disparity in the poll between Republicans and Democrats, with the Republican who trusted the news media being named Oscar Gunthauser, though it was difficult to make out what he was saying because he was a recent stroke victim and might just have been asking for a sip of water. Conversely, on the Democrat side, a full 25% said they did trust the news media and were also considering making a donation to Joe Biden's campaign as soon as they received their inheritance from the Republic of Shagmandu. The company that conducted the poll has been doing follow-up interviews trying to understand the results and say they feel the Republicans may be more suspicious of the news media because the news media lies all the time, whereas Democrats trust the news media more because they're gormless idiots. In a sampling of remarks from the interview, a typical Democrat statement was listed as, Gorsh Mickey, it sure is a beautiful day, uh-huh, 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 whereas Republicans were more likely to say words to the effect of, get off my lawn before I blow your head off. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy. The world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day. Hooray, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hooray. All right, we are back, and I hope you have subscribed to my YouTube channel, the Andrew Clavin YouTube channel, because yesterday's satire didn't even make it into the Daily Wire. Anytime I joke about black people, they immediately they, they have a team of people come parachuting into the Daily Wire. Cut that out! Don't joke about black people. We joke about everybody. All people are being joked about on the Clavin show. And also, if you subscribe. Uh, leave a comment on the YouTube channel. That helps the algorithm, whatever that means. And we also will read your comment if we find it amusing. Here's one from Robert Goebel. Uh, it says, I tied my shoes and realized someone had taught me to tie two nooses together. The FBI is coming to investigate. Thank God you'll soon be walking barefoot uh, in the park. Um, the arrogant triumphalism on the left continues with a couple of comments from Democrat politicians that they could only have made knowing that the press has hit Soviet levels of corruption. The Democrats destroyed Senator Tim Scott's police reform bill yesterday, cynically betting that they can use the lack of reform as a campaign issue, even though they caused it. Over in the House, Nancy Pelosi said, quote, for something to happen, Republicans are going to have to face the realities of police brutalities. But so far, they're trying to get away with murder. Actually, the murder of George Floyd. Asked if she would apologize, Pelosi refused. Now, of course, the police officer who was charged with killing Floyd hasn't been tried yet, but even if he's guilty, he was a cop in a Democrat city with a Democrat mayor in a Democrat state with a Democrat governor. And yet Nancy Pelosi knows she can smile her skeletal smile and blame the Republicans because the party of slaveholders and the Ku Klux Klan have been doing exactly that for decades, if not centuries, and the press has been nodding 
plodding along. As Senator Scott said himself, without the kind of objectivity in the media that's necessary to share the message of what's actually happening, no one will ever know. Meanwhile, in New York, where Governor Cuomo's irresponsibility left thousands of senior citizens dead after the LoveGov stupidly forced nursing homes to accept Kung Flu sufferers, Cuomo blamed the deaths he caused on, you guessed it, Donald Trump. He said, the reason that happened was because we had the virus coming from Europe when the federal government told us the virus was coming from China. I don't even know what that bald-faced lie was supposed to mean, but Cuomo knows he can get away with that, too, because the press is so infected with Cuomo's sexuality, for them to expose his dishonesty and his incompetence would essentially be to expose their own. So let's recap some of the highlights of the week. We've seen a top reporter at the New York Times express pride in inspiring riots. A Black Lives Matter activist called for desecrating churches. We've seen Twitter censor the president of the United States for no good reasons. Those are big displays of leftist arrogant pride from people who think they are now untouchable and they will win the election. But the election's not till late autumn. So it well may be they've made a big mistake in timing. It's a big mistake in timing for Democrats to allow their pride to come before the fall. All right, let us talk about Bespoke Post. We love Bespoke Post. You know, we're sitting here, we live now, uh, not just online, but also in the mailbox. We get a lot of uh, dull stuff in the mailbox catalogs until I can't believe my eyes how many catalogs we get. But every now and again, we get something cool, especially something from Bespoke Post. Uh, Bespoke Post sends guys only the best stuff every month. They send a box of awesome. That's what they call it. And they call it, they've named it well, because no matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered. From style and grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, and outdoor gear, Box of Awesome has carefully built collections for every part of your life. To get started, take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right Box of Awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. I got this beautiful dop kit. I love it. I take it with me everywhere. And and it's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel anytime. Each box costs only 45 bucks but has over $70 worth of gear inside and you can get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code CLAVEN at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com code CLAVEN for 20% off your first box. What could be more awesome than learning how to spell CLAVEN? So <laughs> Get 20% off. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are there no are There are. It's, it's just true. I just make it look like this. So one of the things that has really gotten me, always makes me laugh, and I pointed it out before, is that the rage of, uh, that's been expressed against us, against everybody uh, who voted for Donald Trump or has any support for Donald Trump, is always completely out of context, as if Donald Trump ran against Abraham Lincoln. And we said, hmm, do we want the greatest president in the world, or do we want Donald Trump, you know, it's like it's like it's not like we were choosing between a career criminal, right? But they tell us, oh, you know, Trump was a liar, but they never mentioned the fact that Hillary Clinton actually stood in front of the coffins of the dead at Benghazi and lied to us about how their deaths were caused, saying it was caused by a YouTube video instead of by her stupidity and malfeasance and by Islamist 
terrorists. She doesn't say anything about that. But that's, you know, that's okay because Donald Trump is the liar. They call Trump an authoritarian, but he's not the one who's used the FBI to investigate his political opponents. He hasn't used the IRS to shut them down. Obama did these things and they call Trump, especially now, they call him a racist. This is their big sell. Their big sell is that he is a racist. And we'll talk about this a little bit, I hope, uh, you know, because, well, uh, Bolton, John Bolton, who's going around selling this book, uh, about how awful Donald Trump is. He was asked about this, and here's what he said. Based on everything you saw, the conversations, multiple conversations, many conversations you had with the president on all sorts of issues, do you believe he's a racist? I don't see that in his comments. Uh, I think uh, he, he could be accused of insensitivity. I, I think we could all be accused of insensitivity. I want to get beyond uh, racial characterization. As I say, uh, I think Martin Luther King hit it on the head. It's the content of every individual's character. William F. Buckley Jr. once said, I believe that every individual is different from every other individual in every conceivable way. Oh. And, and that's how I think we ought to look at people. So that's, that's Bolton who will say anything to attack Trump because he hates Trump. He will not tell, call him racist because Trump obviously isn't racist, but they have sold this to us. The thing is, because of the press, because the press is gone, there's no one to ask them, what have you done? What are you building? What, when you're tearing stuff down, what's the plan? And nobody is asking this. And that's why they're so arrogant, because they know nobody's going to ask them. But it's getting very obvious to a lot of people where there's actually on display. And so I think when I say pride before the fall, it's a pun, but it may be a pretty good pun because both meanings may be in place. Let's take a look. I want to show you, before I show you anything else, I want to show you this clip of a, a young lady named Elizabeth, I believe it must be pronounced Rogliani, Rogliani. She's a, a young lady from Venezuela, and she put this up on TikTok. You remember, you know, of course, Venezuela has been plunged into absolute oppression and poverty by converting over to socialism. People are roasting cats in Venezuela to eat because, I mean, the place is, it's, it's basically a failed state, which, which should be, I mean, the food grows on the trees there. It should be one of the wealthiest states in the world. They've spent their oil. They've spent all their money. They've been they've just been utterly destroyed. And she says she she goes on TikTok and she says, why should I care about all this stupid pulling down statues? And then here's what she says is cut one. I have already lived through this thing when I was living in Venezuela. Statues came down. Chavez didn't want that history displayed. And then he changed the street names. Then came the curriculum. Then some movies couldn't be shown on certain TV channels and so on and so forth. You guys think it can happen to you? I've heard this so many times. But always be on guard. Never believe something can't happen to you. You need to guard your country and your society or it will be destroyed. Because they tear down the statues, right? And they say, oh, this one did that and this one did that and this one was evil this way and this one. And sometimes, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, Donald Trump said this about the people tearing down the statue. And I think this is absolutely true. Uh, this is um, this is Trump on the uh, cut three. I think many of the people that are knocking down these statues don't even have any idea what the statue is, what it means, who it is. When they knock down Grant, when they want to knock down Grant. But when they look at certain now, they're looking at Jesus Christ. They're looking at George Washington. They're looking at Abraham Lincoln. Thomas Jefferson, not going to happen, not going to happen, not as long as I'm here. 
So the thing that is that they can always find it, with the exception of Jesus Christ, who obviously was sinless, they can always find the sins of all these people. They can always find the problems with all these statues. But as Trump says, most of these people are so ignorant, they don't know what they're doing. But, but they can always find sins. This one, well, should we take down this one, this one? But they never are asked, what are you going to do? What are you going to make? Here is a guy named Hawk Newsom who runs the Greater New York Black Lives Matter. He was on Martha McCallum's show on Fox. Here's what he had to say about his program. This is Cut 10. If this country doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn down this system and replace it. All right. And I could be speaking phys- fit, uh, figuratively. Okay. I could be speaking literally. It's a matter of interpretation. Like, let's be very real and, and, and let's observe the history of the 1960s. When black people were rioting, we had the highest growth in wealth and property ownership. Think about the last few weeks. That's that's amazing. But you know what, what Martha doesn't say is replace it with what? First of all, his facts are totally wrong. The rioting in the 60s is one of the reasons Richard Nixon was elected. Everywhere that was associated close to rioting lost 2% of the Democrat votes, every every single one of them. And that's why one of the main contributory factors to Richard Nixon who ran a law and order campaign, and that's why he won. The wealth of blacks was increasing until the Great Society slowed down their rise because it destroyed their families and it made them dependent on government largesse. I mean, this is the thing. Nobody says to them, why don't you help yourself? Why are you always asking people to help you? Why are you always so helpless? Why do you let people portray you as helpless? This always gets me, especially because I'm a sexist, because I think men and women are different. To hear a guy saying, I'm helpless, you have to help me, you have to do things, it's injustice, you have to pay me reparations for something that never happened to me. I just think that it is so emasculating. I mean, how can they let Democrats do this to them? I don't care what color they are, just as men, how can they let Democrats turn them into these helpless victims instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to take agency for myself. I'm going to get myself educated. I'm going to get a good job. I'm going to work 12 hours. You know, because a lot, they talk about they talk about white privilege. A lot of it's not privilege. It's advantage. You have the advantage of working hard, of getting an education, of, of being taught responsibility. And I know in poor neighborhoods, you don't get a lot of that because there are no fathers around. I understand that. I understand that it's tough. But now here you are. You're a guy take control. You know, take control, not by yelling at people to help you, not by yelling at people to give you things, not by tearing things down, but by building up your own life. But no one will say that to to them because they're, everybody's so afraid, you know, it's everybody's so afraid to say anything, except here where we're probably going to get, uh, you know, canceled. <laughs> but, but so now, Bill de Blasio, the communist mayor of New York, who has, le- who has transformed Giuliani's beautiful, beautiful city and Bloomberg. I'll give Bloomberg credit for keeping Giuliani's beautiful city alive. He has transformed it like that. I think it took him three years to turn it back into the 1970s where people are, the gunfire is is up. I, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it's up more than decades of the shootings that are taking place. The place is a mess. Nobody's doing anything in Brooklyn. They're begging for police help. They're, they're saying, well, we, we're going to send out some uh, community uh, reconcilers. Uh, that will help you with these people who are blind. So what's de Blasio doing? He's having a huge Black Lives Matter mural painted on the street on Fifth Avenue outside um, Donald Trump's hotel, the Trump, the Trump building. Um, so my question is, do, do the New Yorkers get to choose what that there's a Marxist uh, billboard on Fifth Avenue? Do they get to choose? I mean, Black Lives Matter, which hates the American family, which hates the traditional family, and which has, when you press donate, it takes you to a site called Act Blue that funnels money to Democrats. I mean, 
is, is that even legal to have that kind of uh, political advertising on a public street that's being paid for by all the taxpayers of New York who soon will be moving on to other cities to get away from Bill de Blasio? But no one asks. No one asks these things. But we know. We know because we've been seeing it. Now they're they're shutting down uh, Mayor Jenny Durkin of Seattle. What a Durkin she is. That, should, that word should become in the in English uh, language. It should be in the dictionary. Yeah, what a Durkin. You're a Durkin. You're an idiot. This is a woman who said, oh, it's going to be so wonderful. It's going to be like a, a block party. It's going to be a summer of love in the in the Chaz, but we have to change it to the chop so we can get the police in there because everybody's getting killed. There were three people were shot, one fatally on Saturday and Sunday, so now it's being closed down. One of the guys who was shot <laughs> says he wants legal help to sue the police. This is cut nine. Yo, I was shot in Seattle at Chaz on Friday. The cops left me out there to die. I need help with somebody in legal or media to get my story told and get it out there. I got shot five times. Need you guys help. See, I don't know what it is, but somehow my sympathy meter is pinned at zero <laughs> because the cops didn't leave him to die. The cops weren't allowed in. That was the whole point. It was to show us that we were going to get rid of those evil police officers, all those nasty guys in blue. We were going to get rid of them and we were going to be free and everything was going to be great. So now we see in front of us with our own eyes, we see what they do when they say, oh, George Washington was a bad guy. All he did was form the freest, most successful nation ever made on earth. All he did was put aside a crown, an earthly crown to give us the freedom we have. But he was bad because he was human and he did things that in, in his time that he shouldn't have done. He did things that were ultimately disturbing even to him. But what are you going to do? What have you done? What have you built? What have you done for yourself? How have you shown that you have the responsibility even to take care of yourself, even to make a life for yourself? Nothing. And now I love, I love this thing. I, I think this is real. They put, they put out a, they put out a notice as they were shutting down the chop or the chas or whatever it is. They said, dear comrades in the struggle, over the last two weeks, we achieved what no one thought possible. We shot three people. <laughs> it's like, no, we successfully built a self-governing community and convinced city leaders to enact meaningful police reforms, including substantial budget cuts to the SPD. And now we're suing the police because they didn't show. I mean, it's unbelievable, the self deception, but it's all it's all in front of us. You know, here's this thing that happened. It kind of sums up everything. There are a couple of radicals who won primaries, uh, Democrat primaries for Congress, one in New York, one in Kentucky, one in New York. And against the, the mainstream of the Democrat Party was trying to stop them. They were fundraising against them, but the radicals won. And Lindsey Graham sent out a tweet saying, it appears the French Revolution has now come to the Democratic Party based on initial primary results from New York and Kentucky. A New York Times editor named Dan Salstein, you know the New York Times, a former newspaper, an editor named Dan Salstein, he tweeted back at Graham. He said, and listen to the triumphalism. The French Revolution, you say, in which rising social and economic inequality led to a democratic overthrow of a monarchy and the establishment of a republic? That French Revolution? So the guy's an idiot, right? These are the guys, I, this must be one of the young guys who are protesting whenever they do anything fair or tell the truth. That's it. But that's, it. that's the country in a nutshell. Here is a man made stupid by a poor education who's making a newspaper stupid that then makes you stupid so that you burn down your own country, the greatest country ever formed on earth. It's right there in a nutshell. All right, let us, let us talk a little bit about some of the political news because a lot of stuff happened yesterday. Uh, 
45 Democrats, right? There are 45 Democrats voted to close off the debate on Tim Scott's police reform bill. They didn't vote against the bill. They voted against debating on the bill. Okay. This is really important. So this is obviously what they're going to do is they're going to block the Senate from passing a bill because they don't want Republicans to be able to run on police reform. They don't want them to be able to run. So Tim Scott, who's, I mean, I thought he was, I thought he was going to have a, a stroke on the Senate floor. He was just shocked that they would do this. I, I, I don't know if he, I, I hope he was, I hope he wasn't really shocked. I hope he knows who his Senate colleagues are by now. He made a barn burner of a speech. I want to play a couple of cuts from this. This is the first thing he said. He's, you know, obviously this was, this was good police reform and it was restrained police reform because police should be controlled by the municipalities and states that run them. They shouldn't be controlled by the federal government, but this improved their ability to uh, get information on bad cops so bad cops weren't passed around and, uh, and you know, just spread information. And I think it barred some, um, some holds and all this. But here is, here is the first part of uh, Senator Tim Scott's speech. This is cut 11A. How does that work around the country when instead of getting 70% of what you wanted, Today and tomorrow and next week, you get zero. And you're going to wait until the election to get more. Okay. Well, why wouldn't you take the 80% now, see if you can win the election and add on the other 20%? You've got to be kidding me. Because the who matters. They cannot allow this party to be seen as a party that reaches out to all communities in this nation. They can't allow it to be seen. And by the way, the networks didn't cover this. Democrats quashed debate on police reform. They stopped it cold. Not, not, they didn't stop the, the bill. They stopped debate on the bill. And the networks didn't cover it. And here's the, here's the part of the speech. Here's the part of the speech that will never reach the public unless they're listening to this show, unless they're listening to The Daily Wire, unless they're listening to all the conservative venues that they've been told are the evil are evil incarnate. Here is the part of Tim Scott's speech that will never, ever reach the public ear and that they have to silence. This is cut 12. In Detroit, Atlanta, Minneapolis, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, all these cities could have banned chokeholds themselves. They could have increased the police reporting themselves. They could have more data information themselves. They could have de-escalation training themselves. They could have duty to intervene themselves, Minneapolis as well. All these communities have been run by Democrats for decades. So, so Nancy Pelosi has, you, you can't even call it gall. You can't even call it arrogance because she knows she is under the cone of silence. She knows she's under the cone of media silence. And, you know, again, I've, I, look, I've been preaching this on this subject for over 15 years. It's the conservatives who never built any news agencies that could reach the people. It's conservatives who never thought this was the, the fight they should be fighting, who never put the money into Hollywood, who never put the money into magazines, who never put the money into, uh, you know, another television station like Fox and just thought, Oh, it'll all be on Fox. Everything, everything will be Fox and that'll be fine. They never built more Foxes. It was so successful. They, I don't know why it didn't just duplicate itself endlessly because we're short-sighted. That's why. So Nancy Pelosi has the gall and the courage because she's in this cone of silence to say, to blame Republicans for the death of uh, George Floyd. She was asked if she was apologized. Play this as cut 14. 
When you were speaking yesterday, you said that Republicans are, quote, trying to get away with murder, actually, the murder of George Floyd. Senate Republicans are demanding an apology for that statement. Will you apologize? Absolutely, positively not. Uh, The fact is, people say, I think you, frankly, in the press have given them far too much credit for a bill that does nothing. They're saying, well, you have your bill, they have theirs. Yeah, our bill does something, theirs does nothing. (laughs) <laughs> she can. She knows she can do it. She knows. She knows because Chuck Todd is corrupt. Because the New York Times is corrupt. New York Times is not Pravda. I, I, you know, I used to read the New York Times. I still read it every morning so I can at least bring you the news of what's in it because I know it's going out to all the newspapers in the country and all the newsrooms in the country as a budget, as a, a budget guide. When I say budget, uh, the guide to their what news they're going to cover. It is now a useless piece of, of communist propaganda. It's amazing. It is amazing what the New York Times has become. When I called it a former newspaper originally, I was half joking. I'm not joking now. It is a crap paper. And it is all about selling you this narrative uh, that we're all dying of the virus. You know, by the way, the, vi- the the Chinese flu is spreading, but no one knows whether it's spreading because of these protests, which I'm sure is part of it, uh, but because they're not going to track that because they don't want the information out there. They want, they want to lie and they want to be lied to. One thing that was good, however, that really that happened yesterday that I should also uh, mention is that a uh, a district circuit court of appeals in D.C. uh, ordered the judge in the Michael Flynn case um, to dismiss the case against them. Now, this there's still it's the law. So there's still a million steps that couldn't go forward. uh, But but the judge has canceled an upcoming hearing. This is Emmett Sullivan. <laughs> Remember Emmett Sullivan? What happened was the, the DOJ said, you know, this was a bum case. This was a crummy case. He was he was basically blackmailed into confessing to something he did not do. And it's a crappy case and we're not going to prosecute it anymore. So the judge who didn't want to let it go hired, actually hired, lawyered up. He brought in a lawyer to defend not releasing the case. Well, the district court says it has to release the case. This is a good thing. And at the same time this is happening, and, and this is the stuff, a lot of this noise that's going on is meant to cover this stuff up. There's some notes came out from our old friend uh, Strzok, right? The, uh, the, the lover, uh, the FBI lover, Peter Strzok, uh, who was out to, obviously out to get um, Donald Trump. And some notes came out from this now famous meeting that on January 5th. Uh, that Barack Obama had with uh, with Joe Biden and Comey talking about this uh, investigation, this phony investigation into Michael Flynn, who had as as the incoming uh, national security advisor of the Trump administration, had a completely reasonable conversation with the Russian ambassador. Right. And they said, we're going to we're going to investigate this. And in these notes from Peter Strzok, who's now been fired. And by the way, Christopher Ray was on the Brett Baer show last night. And Christopher Ray was saying this was un- unacceptable. The behavior was unacceptable. This is fu- for the first time, the first time the head of the FBI has come out and said this was unacceptable the way this was done. The FISA warrants were unacceptable. This was unacceptable. And all these people, he said, you know, he said this was not on my watch and all these people are gone. And I mentioned this a long, long time ago. I mentioned the fact that if the newspapers covered how many FBI people had quit or been fired, or been forced out, or demoted, you would see what a huge scandal this is. I mean, this was basically the Obama, the corrupt Obama top of the FBI has been completely wiped out. But because the press kind of covered it one thing at a time and didn't say, look, look what's happening, you never saw that this is this agency was gutted. This agency was gutted by Obama-era corruption. And in these notes of Peter Strzok, 
Biden is the guy who suggests using the Logan Act, this is the John Adams Act that has been used twice and never used successfully. Uh, so Biden, who said he knew not, absolutely nothing about this, he had no idea what was going on here uh, with with the investigation of Michael Flynn. He's the one who suggested the Logan Act. And my favorite is Obama said, we've got to have, make sure you look at things, he said, and we have to have the right people on it. By which, of course, he meant the honest people who wouldn't, uh, you know, bully a, a combat veteran general into confessing to something he didn't do. Trump calls it treason. Here is Trump commenting on this. You've been asked before about what crime he would have potentially committed, but I remember you talking to treason. Well, treason. That's what I was gonna ask it's you. treason. Look, Durham, as you know, is a highly respected person. And Bill Barr is doing a great job as attorney general. Let's see what they come up with. But they don't have to tell me. All I have to do is read the papers, the insurance policy. In case she doesn't win, we got an insurance policy. Well, that was all the stuff that we went through over the last, let's say, two and a half years. Now we caught him. We caught him called Struck and Page, the two lovers. So he got him gold. You know, they keep hitting Trump online, except so much of what he says is true and so much of what they say turns out not to be true. It's kind of an interesting little thing. All right. We're going to have a uh, really interesting guest coming up. But first, uh, let's talk about Reader's Pass. You want to be a subscriber to The Daily Wire, but you're cheap, right? I mean, that's it. You want to get the all-access thing with all the bells and whistles, but you're just like a miser. You're just sitting around clasping your money, thinking, ah, no, I've got to feed my children. I've got to pay the rent. So we have, (laughs) I mean, come on, come on, have some values. We have a cheaper version just for you so you can continue to keep your little brats eating. you must. It's called the Reader's Pass. It's a great value for only three bucks a month. And when you sign up, you get that first month for only 99 cents, which is actually less than a dollar if pennies still exist. You also get access to our mobile app, which is terrific. You get our articles ad-free. You get access to exclusive editorials like one from Christian Toto, uh, Fallon, Kimmel, and Stern. Here's the naked truth behind cancel culture. Uh, If you want my articles, you have to go on my YouTube channel because they won't run them. But if you... (laughs) <laughs> but if you haven't checked out the Reader's Pass already, go to dailywire.com and sign up for just a buck. We have, is it Schreier, guys? Is that, am I pronouncing your name right? It's Abigail Schreier. Schreier. Yeah, she has got a fascinating story to tell about cancel culture over at amazon.com. She's coming right up. All right. Abigail Schreier is a frequent contributor to The Wall Street Journal, the last newspaper in America. She's the author of the upcoming book, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. And for some reason, Amazon is not happy about that. Uh, Abigail, you there? Yes, I'm right here. It's great to be on. I can see it. (laughs) Hi. It's good to see you. Thank you for coming on. It's good to see you. So you're bringing out a book. Amazon, I think, sells something like I can't remember what the percentage is, but it's almost all of the books in America. And they're not letting what exactly are they doing? Are they selling the book? So Amazon. So this week, Amazon said um, that, that my publisher was not allowed to provide a sponsored ad for my book. So in other words, Amazon is willing to, pr- to promote and allow 
um, retailers to purchase sponsored ads for every kind of book that celebrates teenage girls suddenly deciding, teenage girls with no history of gender dysphoria, son, suddenly deciding they are transgender and going and pursuing medical transition, they are very likely to regret. And my book, which which is skeptical about that approach, was not allowed to sponsor an ad. Um, so my, my book, there is not a word of hate in my book, okay? My book is in many ways what should be just common sense, which is that the sudden rush to medical transition for teenage girls has all kinds of risks. That's it. It's about getting the message out to parents, you know, that there are a lot of risks. And unfortunately today, there aren't a lot of gatekeepers. And that is enough to trip the, you know, to hit the tripwires of Amazon and get you blocked. Did Amazon say anything? Did they give any reasons? They, they called it, um, they accused it of being a form of conversion therapy for sexual orientation. Of course, my book has nothing to do with sexual orientation. I've interviewed a great number of, you know, gays and lesbians for the book. Um, it, it, it actually doesn't um, take any position on sexual orientation whatsoever. It has nothing to do with that. Um, it's about girls it really is about a contemporary hysteria. Girls in high numbers, numbers we've never before seen, teenage girls who are beset by all kinds of mental health problems, suddenly deciding with their friends that they are transgender and pursuing hormones and, and medical interventions, uh, including surgeries. That's what the book is about. Nothing to do with sexual orientation at all. Which bizarrely is a kind of conversion therapy in itself. Did, did, do they provide any system for appealing this? Um, they do. We haven't received a response. And that's that's a lot of the problem is that there is, you know, the rules aren't clear. This is a retailer with a clear opinion. And the, and the opinion is that you can promote this. And, and in fact, that's, of course, why we have this problem. And all across the West, teenage girls are now pursuing this and identifying as transgender in numbers we've never seen before in the nearly 100-year history of gender dysphoria. Um, and so everybody is celebrating this in the culture. Everybody is celebrating this in big tech. And the moment you try to say, hold on, there are a lot of medical risks here that parents should know about that they, before they encourage it, and, and not just medical risks, all kinds of risks. Um, if you if you try to put, you know promote a, a a skeptical book, that's enough to be deemed you know offensive um, by companies like Amazon. Why why are teenage girls so susceptible to this? Why is I mean obviously teenage girls tend to be susceptible in general, but why are they susceptible to this idea that they aren't in fact girls? So I interviewed a lot of. Um, of, of, of people for the book. And one of them is, is a psychologist, Amanda Rose. And we talked a lot about why, um, why girls are susceptible to all these peer contagions. And the reason has to do with the modes of their friendship. Um, first of all, the girls who are susceptible to the susceptible to this, I should say, are beset by other mental health issues, anxiety, depression, very often cutting mm -hmm. goes along with this and other things. But the other wow. thing is girls tend to meet their friends where they are and share in their pain. That's just one of the ways that girls, be, uh, you know, treat each other in a friendship. Boys do not do this. That's not part of their friendship, but girls do, and they tend to take on each other's pain. So things like anorexia and bulimia have always been very contagious within friend groups. That's really interesting. So in other words, if, if you have a friend who has a problem, uh, if a girl has a friend who has a problem, she's more likely to develop that problem than just to sympathize or to try to uh, draw somebody out of it into mental and she's, health. She, 
That's right. She's And she's more willing to suspend reality in order to meet her friend where she is. Now, there are wonderful, believe it or not, this actually has good effects because it actually helps girls become closer. They become very close because of their sharing and empathy. But it also has problems when, when one of their uh, you know, when, when they are, have decided, you know, that, that really they're too fat and they start focusing on that. And, um, of course they're not very, you know, and, um, they tend to fixate and they invite their friends to share in this fixation. So for instance, you know, psychologists have known for years that if you house anorexics or bulimics together in a hospital ward, there's a huge danger of it spreading. And very often it does yeah. it in both gets more severe and it spreads. And we're seeing the same thing with transgender identification. That That is really interesting. Now, I, one of the things that I, I, I have uh, a bone I've had to pick with feminism for a long time is that basically feminism, which originally was equal rights for everybody, which, you know, of course, uh, I support, everybody supports, but it has become a sort of, it sort of has now pushed the idea that what were traditionally male values are the values that everyone should ascribe to. And essentially, it seems to me like it's an attack on the feminine. Neil Gorsuch gave this uh, opinion in the Supreme Court where he essentially said the differences between men and women don't exist, that men and women should be doing the same thing all the time and held to the same standards all the time, or you're discriminating against them. Does this play into this at all? I mean, are girls being told that being a girl is not a good thing in some at some level? That- That's right. They are. They are being shamed all the time for being who they are. So in other words, you know, women naturally and girls naturally have have certain preferences and 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 you know um, interests. For instance, you know, very often girls like to pursue um, people jobs. You know, young women pursue people jobs, as as some people put it, over you know. uh, you know, other, uh, other kinds of jobs, things that focus on relationships. Um, and they're made to feel bad about that. Women are supposed to feel terrible that they don't lean in enough and aren't, aren't always interested in becoming a CEO. That's regarded as shameful. Women are supposed to feel bad that they love literature and would rather read it th- or write it than pursue coding. Um, obviously, neither, neither of those is better than the other. But the idea that girls have to be ashamed, you know, if they don't want to pursue a career in STEM, and that's part of, you know, sort of their failing, is really, unfortunately, those messages are getting through and they're hitting girls at a really tough time, which is adolescence, where their bodies are changing, their life is changing so quickly, and they're being showered with hormones. And so they very, very, you know, reasonably latch on to anything to explain their distress. And today they're latching on to gender dysphoria as their explanation. Unfortunately, it's, it's often an inaccurate diagnosis. And, and, and the things that are being done to these young girls are things that can't, I assume can't be reversed. That's right. So, um, you know, testosterone leaves lasting effects. Um, some of them, you, you have to become a lifetime patient because the moment you go off them, obviously girls' bodies aren't meant to handle testosterone. So the moment you go off them, you won't retain the full masculinization effects, but some of them are per- permanent. They lead to all kinds of horrible things, including um, very often you'll need a hysterectomy. That um, they'll, it'll, you know, if you've been on testosterone for five years, they often recommend prophylactic hysterectomy and the reasons for that, um, body hair, facial hair is permanent, um, you know, permanent alteration of their uh, private parts. Um, and then there's of course, you know, double mastectomies. Yes. 
Oh my God! This is this is this this really has these echoes of like you know I I don't want to overstate it, but it has like faint echoes of these Nazi torture doctors doing things to children to just to find out what happens. What what is what, Amazon is a huge corporation. It serves everybody. It serves everybody. Goes to Amazon. It's a it's a big big company. What is their, what do you think is their uh, dog in this fight? Why, why aren't they interested in hearing this side of the story? Since you're, you're not saying, uh, you know, transgenders are evil. You're not saying anything like that. You're yeah. simply saying these girls are being ill-served. What, why, is they, why is there a wall in a corporation the size of Amazon keeping you out of all people? Well, the activists in, about, around these issues are very strong. And instead of taking a very reasonable position, and by the way, the transgender people I, I have interviewed, so many of them do not agree with the activists. They are the mm. extreme people. And very often these activists on behalf of this cause aren't even transgender themselves. But the activists believe that you can never question anybody who announces they're suddenly transgender, even a teenage girl. And um, of course, you know, what what I think is a much more reasonable approach is to say, listen, I've had gender dysphoria since I was a little kid. I know, you know, you know what these girls, this contemporary hysteria and girls with no history of gender dysphoria has nothing to do with me. And to that, I would say you're right. These girls do not have, you know, organic, typical gender dysphoria. They have something else. Um, yeah. so, so why, why does Amazon have a dog in this fight? I can only tell you that the entire woke pu public does. And, um, and that's why this problem has gotten so severe. I get calls from parents every day. You know, this is, this is a thing that I have found too, uh, with gays as well as transgender, that the actual people, when you talk to them are terrific people who understand that there are problems, understand that there are problems with their meshing with society, understand that there are problems in the, in what they're saying, what's happening inside them. And then you have these activists who have absolutely no capacity for reason whatsoever. Uh, and it's, and they're somehow the ones who get in these positions of power. It's, it's a really strange dynamic that's going on and it's going on across the board. Abigail, thank you so much. Abigail Schreier, the book is called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze, Seducing Our Daughters. Uh, Amazon notwithstanding, I hope you get it out there and I hope you'll send me a copy because I'd like to read it. Thank you. Absolutely. It was great talking to you. Thank you. All right. Let me end with a, uh, a final reflection here. You know, I, I just I just want to say this one thing. So much of what we're seeing, uh, obviously, comes from our academies. So much is uh, what I've been I, you know, I know beating this drum so long that I sometimes get weary of it. So much of it is the culture. So much of it comes from the culture. And we on the right are constantly talking about Western culture and we've got to revive Western culture and all this. But I'll notice a lot of us say that stuff, but we don't do it ourselves. We don't contribute to the culture. And I don't mean by making it. I mean by simply ingesting it, by simply knowing what's there, by knowing what the great books are, by knowing what, what's in them, by, by reading them, by sitting ourselves and confronting them for a, ha a quiet 20 minutes in a day. You know, there's a, a very, very famous story, which possibly you've heard, St. Augustine, one of the great fathers of the church, uh, had a conversion experience and he lived a life that he felt was filled with sin. And one day he sat down under a fig tree and he began uh, to weep for his sins. He began to weep for his sins. And suddenly uh, he tells the story in the Confessions of St. Augustine. Um, as he was weeping, he heard a child's voice chanting two words over and over again. The two words were tole lege, which means take up 
and read. Tole lege, take up and read. And so he decided that he was going to take up the Bible and read the first thing he saw. And the first thing, words he saw were telling him, put away your sin uh, today and follow Christ. And that's what he did uh, because he felt that, that, was a me- that this was a message to him. And it, it's a message I think all of us should be following. You know, the counter-revolution begins with us. It begins with you, and it begins in private. You know, the, the left is always telling us that the private is political, the personal is political. Well, in some sense, that's true. In some sense, the things that you don't do, the things that you don't do, the way are they create the gaps through which these uh, people with their Marxist revolution, their revolution in favor of a system we know doesn't work, we know is oppressive, we know will destroy us, the, the gaps for that revolution are formed by us when we don't put our shoulders together and actually sit down with the things that we were given, the gifts that we were given, the gifts of ideas we were given, and read them. The Shakespeare, the Plato, the uh, the St. Augustine, uh, and all of these wonderful things that were given to us that we put aside while we're watching, you know, our superhero movies, which are fine. These superhero movies are fine. But, you know, it's not that hard to get a little bit of an education. It's not that hard to, to go to the uh, great courses uh, things or to look online for the Hillsdale courses and find out what's going on and then take up the books and read them ourselves. Tole lege. Take up and read. The counter-revolution really does begin in the human heart, which you are equipped with and should be feeding with the information that has been handed down to you all these years in this incredible, unique civilization of which America is the finest product. All right, I got to stop there, and it's the Clavin this weekend, so it's all over anyway, right? <laughs> so you're probably going to hear a lot of wailing, a lot of gnashing of teeth, great darkness, exterior darkness. It's awful. But if you should crawl from one end of the Clavenless weekend to the other, we will be back here on Monday with more Claveny goodness. So stay tuned for the Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Walsh Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director is Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire, 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm